Welcome to Season 4 of the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. This is Thomas Gallagher. This is Part 2 of the Jim Gallagher Jr. story. In Episode 1, he talked about his childhood and getting started as a young junior player to his career as a Tennessee volunteer. We left off with him regaining his tour card for the third time after many ups and downs. We'll continue with year six of his golf journey, which was the 1989 season. Dad, so tell us about that 1989 season. Um, I mean, just hearing those past four or five years, I mean, that had to be the biggest emotional, psychological (laughs) warfare, you know. (laughs) That had to be so tough, um, and not even just not having that consistency of, of having, um, you know, your card and, and having that weight off your shoulders. So yeah, let's talk about that that nineteen eighty nine season and and where we where do we start? Yeah, we mentioned in eighty eight. I met your mom and I met your grandmother Linda Meeks, and I think just when I met her, you know, she was really sick with ovarian cancer and was on I don't know, gosh, no telling how many different treatments and everything and she's in a hospital bed not doing very well I'd actually had met your mom earlier uh at a couple college tournaments because she played golf with your aunt Jackie at LSU and and you know just I don't know she called me up when we were at Deerfield and we went out to dinner and and I just met her mom and her mom was sitting there you know just so positive and so upbeat and just you know I'm sitting there going this lady's dying and I'm sitting there worrying about a stupid three-footer and I'm thinking to myself you're pathetic and you need to get your act together. You know, I'm thinking this is horrible attitude. When someone's dying, has such a great attitude. You got life really in pretty good shape. You're healthy. You got a job, even though it doesn't seem like you do. Uh, so don't start feeling sorry for yourself. So she kind of inspired me. I think that was the biggest thing I got is is just she and your mom too. I mean, she has so many of your your grandmother's qualities that just they brought the best out of me. And I think one thing, your mom was such a great player too and she was finished up at LSU and she wanted to turn pro and I just felt like okay we're going to do this and and she's going to go through tour school in the fall of 89 she's just finishing up school and and she was just always optimistic and she brought the best out of me and she always made me feel man you got these talents you're really good you ought to you know just was always encouraging me but I believed her it's not that my parents weren't encouraging me and they were they were it's just I heard it from someone else that I know it's just the way she told me, and I just kind of like, okay, I can do this. And I really, I had a pretty solid year, and 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 just I think through her, made the beginning of '89 just so much more fun. What? So I mean, obviously meeting mom, as I call her, but mm-hmm. what was that meeting like? And um, that had to be a turning point, wasn't it? Oh, it was. Yeah, just her, her mom, and I remember we went up to Easter in, in Greenwood, and. And I got to meet your granddaddy, Ed Meeks, and boy, he's, he's a piece of One work. of a kind. One of a kind. We love him to death. And, and and just that whole week there, Jackie, my sister, was there. The whole LSU team was there. And I just really felt like it was a, a home. And I just, there's something about them that they had all this life of just sickness and terrible stuff, and they always were optimistic. And I just, there was something just the way they lived their lives and took the approach life that kind of just inspired me. And, you know, I, I, I played really well a bunch of times and, and ended up going up and, and, and having a really good year. Your, your mom's going to go, I think it's the middle of the summer. We're in Chattanooga, where we are now doing this podcast where you live, <laughs> which is another way the circle it all comes, comes back full here. Circle. And, and we were at the choo choo, and I was thinking, 
I, 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 this is someone I want to spend the rest of my life with. And yeah. so, you know, I think we call your grandmother and your granddaddy up and say, all right, we want to get married. And uh, this is June, I think. I can July. imagine that conversation. And it was quick. It was I didn't even do like you're supposed to do. And I was like, oh, hey, we want to get married. And I remember your granddaddy saying, the only thing you can't do is get married before Beth and Nikki or Beth will kill us all. <laughs> you know, that's his sister Beth. And so right. we weren't going to do that. And we were talking about November. Well, granddaddy was fixing to have two weddings in one year. <laughs> we were about to bust his butt. And, and, uh, and I just remember it was just like, okay, we're going to do this. And she wanted to go through tour school. And, you know, and I was like, okay, we'll go through, you go through tour school. Well, we get married. Mom goes through tour school. I caddy. I mess her up on the last couple holes and she misses by a shot. She has conditional card. So that 89 season, we both have basically are going to go our separate ways. We're just married in November. She's going to go play the LPGA and I'm going to go play the PGA tour. And our first month or so, she actually went to Hawaii with me. And for the Sony Open, and, and so we go out there, and, and, and then we spend another week just kind of a vacation. Then she started her tour career in Hawaii. She spent one month in Hawaii, and she got island fever big time. Wow. But that was the last time I saw her for several months, you know, when we were playing. I was in one end of the country. She was in the other. And that's kind of how we, we lived that 1990 year, which I got away from 89, but I'd kept my card. Yeah. had a really good year in, 80, in 89. But in 90, uh, I remember when she got her card, one of the things we had talked to the mixed team tournament, J.C. Penny and the tournament director said, if either one of you win in 1990, we'll have you play as a husband and wife. I said, perfect. And so I'm having a great year in, in, in 90, and Mom is struggling a little bit, but she's just trying to figure out where she's going. I actually caddied for her in Nashville. Grandma yeah. Linda was still alive, and she was up there. And I remember Mom kept getting all this attention because she was obviously cute, beautiful, and, and our just relationship was kind of a cool story. Mm-hmm. And I remember Caddy, and I had her big staff bag, and we get rained out after about eight holes. That thing about killed me. <laughs> and I go in, and I get a Sunday bag, carry bag, because I am not going. Oh, yeah. I ain't going no way. I'm not doing it. So I get the Sunday bag for the last, whatever, 27 holes. And unfortunately, she didn't make the cut, but that was really one of the few weeks we got to spend together. Uh, and I think there was a story, I just found this out a few months ago, that we were in the Atlanta airport together, and we didn't even know it, because we didn't have cell phones. Right. And so I'm going through whatever terminal, and Mama's in there with a bunch of her friends, because there goes Jim. And that, and they No go, way. Yeah, and so she stops, and I run over, and I hug her, and I go, hey, what are you doing? You know, back and forth, she's going somewhere, I'm going somewhere. We didn't even know our flights were like that. I mean, because the calls were once right. you, you didn't get the call at time. Right. You just didn't have the ability to do now that. Now you can track. Now you can track everybody where everything yeah. is, and so it was hard to keep up. I mean, we did, but that's kind of how those first several months were. Wow. Well, mom had hurt her shoulder really bad in college, and it was really starting to bug her. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, she only got to play about ten events that year, and, and that shoulder injury. And I remember her sitting there and saying, "You know, I want to be a mom." And I want to be a great wife, but I still want to kind of play. And I said, I just don't know if you can do everything like that. Mm-hmm. And your mama gave up her career right. to do all that thing. And I wouldn't have done that for anybody. I'm right. a little selfish. Yeah. And I just, I mean, it just was. But well, she and, and being married, you had to make decisions for, for the both true, of you all. And, true. And, and it just was, it was a tough one because, I mean, she gave up her career right. of what she, her dream mm-hmm. to allow me to, you know, live my dream. And so that says a lot about your mom. And, uh, but I knew she couldn't play. She couldn't even lift her shoulder. It was so bad. Yeah. And so we called the tour LPGA to see if we can get her an extension, a medical exemption to maybe at least tour school the next year. Cause it was going to be six to nine months for her rehab right. to get her shoulder back. And, uh, they said, no, I called the tournament director and, 
you know, actually I'd won Milwaukee in September. No way. When this conversation started coming around, and I win Milwaukee by myself. She's this was your first my first win. Oh wow! And there's nobody there. I won the playoff. I know I jumped the gun there, but we were talking about all that. So I win Milwaukee. Okay. And now I'm thinking, well, maybe she can play in December, and then we'll have the surgery, and we'll figure that all out. And uh, we go to Northern Indiana. My friend Denny Hepler, who was trying to help me count back in yeah. the last uh, season and the last episode we did. Uh, and the last podcast we were at the beginning of this one, and, and, and he's like, has this big pro-am, big celebration. I win my first event. Mom and dad are there. It's so cool. And so I called the tournament director and said, hey, I've won. Can we play? And he goes, no, uh, you, you need to play with somebody that's, you know, whatever, full exempt or bigger name or blah, blah, blah. And really? That kind of hurt. Yeah. You know, because I really wanted to play the bomb. I just, it was, it was fun. So we decide on that right after I win, maybe a week or so later, let's go do the surgery. And she goes in and has a massive reconstruction surgery. And her golf was pretty much done, and and uh, I kept going, and I had a great you know, ninety, and and played so well for the next couple of years, and kept getting better, and just having her out there every week was huge. Where before we were kind of separated, but for her to sit there and just continue to tell me how good I was, flashback to this real, we got to go back to this that we didn't cover in the last one. When I did talk to your granddaddy about getting married. Your granddaddy's going, well, Jim doesn't even have a job. This is back when I didn't have a card again. It's like <laughs> yeah. the third time. He goes, well, I mean, what y'all going to do? Right. Boy, ain't got a job. Exactly. And so she said, you don't get it, Dad. You just don't get it. He hits it like no one I've ever seen. The sound is different. Mm-hmm. I'm not bragging to myself. I'm, this is what your yeah. mama said. And so he goes, well, I'll see. And the granddaddy was a good player. He'd been oh, stayed yeah. in Mississippi, and he took me out. We went out and played. And I don't know. I must have impressed him because he came home. He goes, okay. He's yeah. good. He's good. You don't need a job. He's yeah. okay. Yeah. He's good. He's good. He's good. Uh, so that's kind of how that went. She had shoulder surgery, and, and I, I don't. I didn't play the J.C. Penny. And one thing my dad always told your granddaddy, you know, Ed, is to have me have a kind of hobby. Yes. My dad never had a hobby that I needed to do something in the off season, not just golf, or I would burn out. Mm-hmm. I needed to have a time off, and so your granddaddy introduced me to duck hunting. Right. And so that was kind of my hobby. Yeah, your exit, your just to get away yeah. from golf, and and you know I didn't really want to play in December or whatever. Mm-hmm. So your granddaddy introduced me to duck hunting. So we go out in the boat, and he says, "Okay, we get." Had out you there. ever shot a gun oh, before? No, I went out quail hunting with him, and <laughs> your mama and them were laying down, so I don't shoot at them because I'm oh chasing this gosh. quail up and down this hill to kick him up quail. The quail runs up, and comes back, and granddaddy sees him, and he said, "The poor thing's exhausted. He's been chasing him. He ain't <laughs> shot him once." And so we just laughed about that, and, yeah, and, and that's really the only time. We were all safe. It was not we running around like a no, sure, wild man. Sure. And that's one thing he always told me is about safety. He stressed safety, 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 because I've never been around guns. And right. It's a big deal. And, and, but it was like, man, this is fun. Right. And so we go out duck hunting, and there's three of us in the boat. They put me in the middle. So granddaddy's driving the boat, and I think it was Jimmy Henderson, one of the guys from home. And so we're all sitting in there, and, and your granddaddy says, all right, you got to keep your head down. I can see the white of your eyes. You know, don't move, don't breathe. I'm thinking, oh my god, I can't sit still. I'm so hyper. So all of a sudden, the ducks come by and bang, 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 bang. They shoot, and I stood up and I'm like, where'd they go? <laughs> so I said, hmm. They said, well, you just weren't quick enough. I said, all right. They do it like two or three more times. Oh, so true. I realized the only reason I'm there is so they can have more of the limit. Exactly. And they know I'm not going to hit the broad exactly. side of the barn. Well, I caught on pretty quick, and, yep. and duck hunting became kind of a love for me uh, in the off season. And it was because of, you know, my dad telling your dad to, to do that. And, and it was one of the things I really enjoyed 
Uh, and those couple of years went by and, and, you know, we talked about having a family and, you know, just life was good. We'd bought a house and, and we lived in a house right down the street from your granddaddy and it was our first house together. And, and we started talking about having a baby and lo and behold, in, in 92, we had this pretty little thing, Mary Langdon. Uh, and that was, you know, kind of a cool January, Mary in 92, Mary Langdon's born. And so life really changed then, mm. uh, for us. But it was interesting traveling with a baby. Uh, Mom was so great. She was just so good at, at doing all those things. And, and, and just, I don't know, she has a gift to be able to do those things. She could take the baby out there, but knew what it took for me to be successful. And it was so great to come home to him. We're back to the hotel room. That was our home, basically. We spent our whole time in there. Right. And I remember, I think she got an ear infection at San Diego. And I'd really, that was my first pro event. I always played it just because of that. I never really played that well. She had a terrible ear infection, couldn't go to sleep, and I just held her the whole night. I think I'd made the cut, and then for the first time in a while, and just held her up, and just like, you know, it was just part of being a dad and traveling. Right. And it was an adjustment that year. Yeah, what was that adjustment like, you know, juggling being a parent, but also being a competitive player on tour, and how did you keep your, your mind focused on golf your mom when you were playing golf? Yeah, that's a great question. Your mom allowed me to do that. I mean, if Mary Lyndon was crying, she'd take her out and let me sleep in and, and do whatever. I mean, Mary was a great baby. Uh, Y'all were, but she was really good to travel with. And I just think that's, that was just part of the life we didn't want to miss out on. And so they went every week. I mean, you can't believe the stuff we carried around it's before you could only carry, check in one bag. You know, we were checking <laughs> right. in 90 bags and, you know, and mom had to have toys for her as she got older and everything. And there was a story, we were at Fort Worth and Mary Lyndon might've been, five or six months old and Vince Gill's singing and so we get up there brought her up on stage and he's singing you know Little Liza Jane or whatever singing something up there and we're having a great time and all of a sudden Mary Lanning got sick all over my shirt oh, everything yeah. in front of everybody poor thing and it was just like oh my god I took her to the emergency room she was fine she was running a fever but she had some kind of stomach virus and all that stuff but yeah. those are the things that happened when you traveled but as far as me keeping my mind, your mom was always there to, to help me do that. And, and I think that was just huge because of her understanding what it took for me to be successful and did the things, allowed them to be with me. Mm-hmm. But when things weren't maybe going other than those couple little situations, she took care of everything. That's awesome. I mean, just having that sidekick and that um, person to get you through that and allow you to, to focus on that was Oh, that it was huge. Awesome. That's the only reason I was successful. And, and, you know, that was in, I guess, what, 92, that whole year we traveled with her. And I don't think they ever missed a trip. I think they went. And I played 35, 36 weeks a year. So what, I guess, how long did it take um, or how much time went by from the time you had Mary Langdon until your next win? Well, mom was pregnant with you, and that was in 93 at Anheuser-Busch at Kings Mill. And, you know, I, I had actually was hurt. Two weeks before, three actually a month before, I'd hurt my neck. I didn't pinch a nerve. Mm-hmm. I just did something. I had to. I never WD'd. One thing my dad always told me: if you start around, you finish around, unless you're crippled. You yeah. do not WD because you got your feelings hurt. Yeah. You sign it. If it's ninety, you sign for it. And man, I was hurting. I couldn't even lift my arm. I thought I hurt myself, and I'd slept wrong, something weird in my neck, shoulder, whatever. And so I had to WD after the first day. And I, I felt horrible because I had mm-hmm. WD. This was in Atlanta. And that would have probably been in April or, or May or somewhere in there. Uh, probably it was May, I think. And so I don't. I didn't play for maybe a week or so. I went to Chicago, missed a cut, shot a million. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I'm hurt. I'm not 100%. So I go to Anheuser-Busch. Maybe the pressure was off. I don't know. And I get down there, and I play great. 
and I ended up winning. I beat Lanny Watkins, and I think Chip Beck was in the running. So I get my second win. Mary Lane is in all the pictures, and now yeah. I've got myself in position to make the Ryder Cup team, which was never even a thought <laughs> in my brain. So I do. I get my second win there. So yeah, you make you make that 1993 Ryder Cup team. Um, Mom was obviously pregnant with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, Very pregnant. And where that Ryder Cup was in. It was um, at the Belfry in England. Okay. But the tournament leading up to that, it always led up to the PGA. That was the cutoff. Right. And I remember walking in the locker room. It was at Inverness. And I walked in the locker room and said, Jim Gallagher, last guy in, these guys got to make these points to pass me. I said, that's like a hit list. No way. I'm thinking, this is a hit list. So I kind of got – I understood why they did it. But yeah. it kind of – I just it got to me mentally. I sure. Just, and I missed the cut. So I'm choking my guts out. And if I make the cut, back then you had to finish top 10 to get points. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you got points. And so I had to get some help. And Lanny Watkins had played well. And Paul Azer, it was just a, Paul Azer, I believe, yeah, Paul won that year. And so Lanny had a really good finish. And so nobody was able to pass me. And I knew I'd made it. And the next day was the Skins game, which you always had at Machingo Mission back in Indiana, where I grew up playing. Mm-hmm. And so we got there, and it was nothing more special than when my dad announced me on the first tee. And now you're newest member of the Ryder Cup team. And me, that was really cool. Yeah, I can remember going to a bunch of those, or just spending all that time in Indiana right. during the summer and having all your buddies, you know, coming to play. And I just thought you are the, you know, coolest and you know best players ever. And well, that um, was cool because like Bruce Litsky played. Yeah, my dear friend who was a mentor to me, and that's one guy that always took me under. Y'all his brought wing. some real talent to the. We did. I mean, Bruce would play Joey Sindelar, Willie Wood. Of course, Gene Cyrus played in every single one. He came, yeah. and he was trying to win all the money. <laughs> I love Gene. One of my dear friends. We traveled together, roomed together a lot till we both got married and everything. Uh, Neil Lancaster was always fun to have in there. I'm leaving people out. Scott Verplank played. Yeah, and it, and they didn't make much money. They did it as a favor to me. I think oh, we absolutely. paid them like $1,500 to show up or $1,000, but they had a chance to win two fifty or 500 a hole. Exactly. Uh, and those were fun times. But, you know, it was really cool. And then I, you know, I realized oh, I've made the Ryder Cup team. And so that would have been in the August, and we go to September, it's at the Belfry. Mm-hmm. And we're going to ride the, the Concord, but we're going to stop at the White House and meet the president. I'm thinking, here's this little, not country bumpkin, but this little kid from Marion, Indiana. Yep. About to go to the White House, meet President Clinton, fly on the Concord, go play for the Ryder Cup for the United States. We, you can't win this on Jeopardy. Yeah, know? seriously. And, and so it was cool. We go into the White House, and we meet President Clinton in the Rose Garden, and we go through the whole thing. And Mama, of course, she's big pregnant with you. She's seven months pregnant. I'm surprised they even let her go. Davis Love's wife, Robin, is pregnant with Drew. Uh, the same, you guys are born a day apart. Right. She's also that dude. Lee Jansen's wife can't go because she's a month ahead. So we got this whole team's <laughs> pregnant. With, with the wives are pregnant. So we're meeting President Clinton, and Mama gets to talking to him for five or ten minutes. And just because she knew people who – just Mama could meet strangers. And it was really cool to meet him. He lets us go in to the Oval Office, and this is no lie. And y'all were not supposed to do that. that well, was... we just – back then, you know, we didn't have – 9-11 hadn't hit. Right, no. but that wasn't on y'all. No, that was agenda. not in the journey. Yeah. No, so President Clinton, he goes, y'all want to go to the – Oval Office. Well, yeah. So we sit in the chair where the president sits wow. in the Oval Office. And, you know, obviously we don't have documentation. There may have been some well, pictures. sure, yeah. Because you're not going around showing that off. Right. Uh, but we did. The whole team got to go in there. We sat in the chair. And uh, we had a dinner that night. We'd fly on the Concord. Well, before I get on the Concord, I open up Golf World magazine. And there's an article written. And it kind of did like... Uh, I don't know, just scouting report on each player for each mm, team. Yeah. 
And so I'm reading through all of them, and it was supposed to be whatever. And so they get to me, and it says, Jim Gallagher Jr., he's the kind of player you get with this system they have, and he's got the heart of a lamb, and the Europeans are going to make chopped liver out of him. Mm. Well, that basically ticked me off pretty bad. And so I was mad. Sure. So I get on the Concord, and I tell everybody about it. And so they kind of tagged me with this killer lamb chop, mm. you know, nickname. Right. No, they called me lamb chop. That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, they yeah. start with lamb chop. So I'm ticked. I mean, I'm motivated now. Now I'm not even nervous. Right. Now I'm motivated. Was this your first taste of like the media and like... Of being negative, yeah. Because yeah. I always, everybody was really good to me. And that's, you take the good and the bad. Sure. But that was like, they didn't know what was inside of my heart and mm-hmm. what made me. And that's why, you know, now that I'm a golf analyst, I try not to act like I know what's going through the person's heart. Right. Or because you don't know what's in their heart, what yeah. drives them, and it may appear that they're not being driven. But for me, I was driven. So we land, and I see all these hundreds and hundreds of people lined up. It was like they were meeting a rock star, you know, like mm-hmm. the Beatles were coming to town. Right. And I thought to Mom and I walking in there, and I said, "Oh my gosh, what have we got ourselves into?" You know. <laughs> and so we go through this thing, and we meet Prince Edward. We meet all these, you know, dignitaries and everything, and really? we go to the hotel, and. We're all staying there. We go out in the practice rounds, and they, Tom Watson was the captain, and he was awesome. I mean, this is the Tom Watson. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he's my captain, so I was like, Allah. Oh, yeah. Allah, Allah, Allah. Tom Watson, <laughs> you know, just crazy, crazy. And so I don't know when I'm going to play, how I'm going to play, who I'm going to play with. don't know anything, right. but I know I'm playing my butt off, and yep. I'm playing really well. So that night they make the force, the foursome, the alternate shot pairings, and I'm not in them. That's that's fine. So he says, guys, if you're not playing, sleep in, take an overball. Why don't all you wives out there, you know, pulling for the guys? Right. So there's a fog delay, blah, blah, blah. Well, you may not play any of them until singles. You don't know because right. I'm a rookie. And we've got four rookies. I mean, Lee Jansen, Davis, me. Who's the other rookie? Anyway, so we're out there. We're rookies. It may only have been three of us. But so we're rookies and we're like. John Cook. Oh yeah, John. John Cook. Cook was a rookie, which he's already is older than me. But he's our he's our we were the, we were the rookies. We were the four rookies, and so the pairings came out for the afternoon, and I'm paired with uh, Lee Jansen, who is also a rookie, but the current U.S. Open champion. Right. And we're going to play Peter Baker and Ian Woosdom in the first match of four ball. We're like the second match out, so now I'm fired up, I'm ready to go. Yeah. And I'm playing so good, and I'm hitting it so good. Lee was struggling a little bit. And Peter Baker starts making it from across the world. I bet he made eight putts over 25 feet. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. We get to the last hole, and I hit it in about eight feet. I had that same basic putt in the practice round. So I knew what it was going to do, and I knew I was going to make it. He makes it from 40 feet behind the green to, to beat this one up. Gosh. I don't even get the putt. So now I'm 0-1. I'm thinking, God, I didn't play that bad. I'll never play again. You know, we lose. So I yeah. said, I'm not going to play the singles. Four alternate shot comes out. Of course, I'm not in those. And then... I, I heard the story that, you know, they weren't sure who they were going to play in. I think some of the veterans said, Jim's playing really well. you got to put him in. He's playing really well. Right. Seriously. And so I don't know that I just had heard that story. So we get in there, and the next thing I know, I'm playing with Corey Pavin. And okay. we're playing Constantino Roca and uh, Mark James in best ball. And Corey goes crazy. I think he shoots. He was a pretty slick putter. Oh, he was really good. Well. He made like he shot like twenty nine or thirty in front. But I'd also made three or four birdies, sure. but got no credit. So we get to the ninth hole, and I got it in there about 
six feet and he's got it in there about 10 for about his sixth birdie of the day. He's right. already holed one from the fairway. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I, 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 I'm putting first. You are not <laughs> counting every hole. They're going to think I'm a chopper just out here keeping your scorecard. Exactly. So I knock it in and he laughs. And we get to, I think, 11 and I'm deciding what to hit. And this is a true story. He tells me this day. And so I, I, I said, I don't think I can hit driver. He goes, well, hit three wood. Why pop up my three wood? Now I got to hit two iron in. I go, well, that's the last time I listened to you. You know, and it was my fault I hit a bad sure. shot. We end up beating them five and four. Okay. So I got one and one, and, and I'm really excited. You got your confidence Got my confidence yeah. back. I knew it wasn't playing bad. So we're going to play singles, and I'm paired up against uh, Sam Torrance. Okay. And then we come in that night, and Tom says there's a chance that Sam may not play because he's got an infection in his foot and can't walk and blah, blah, blah. And at that time, had they made the pairings? Pairings are made, but okay. back then, and I think it's probably the same now, each team at the beginning of those pairings, I believe, had put a name in the hat okay. in case something like that happened. Sure. And, and instead of you just winning, they split and have the match. Mm-hmm. And so the person, say Sam, would have then wouldn't play. I would go play, in our case, it was Lanny's name was in the, in the envelope. Lanny okay. Watkins, who was one of the greatest right. Ryder Cup players, put his name in the envelope, which I thought was one of the most team-oriented, whatever, gestures ever. He was a pick, and he said that's his reasoning. But that was really honorable. Yeah. So his name's in the the hat. So what happens is now he goes in against Sam. They have it. So now I go play who Lanny was going to play, if that happens. Okay. So we wake up the next morning, and we're at the church service with the kites. And I look up. I said, Lanny's playing Seve. So if Sam WDs, they have – that means I'm playing Seve. I won't play Seve. (laughs) You know, here no I am, way. just I'm just acting crazy up there, and all of a sudden. Had this. you met Seve in person? I had played with him maybe once, okay, but I knew. I mean, he was oh sure the writer. And this wasn't in no, this is over America. there. This was no, this is like playing in Tiger Stadium in Death Valley. I mean, this is yeah, uh, or in Knoxville playing, you know, whatever. So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, this little man gets a ladder, pulls his name up, pulls Sam's name off, pulls Lanny, and then puts me up against Seve. And Tom goes, "Well, you got what you wish for." <laughs> I said, "Yes, I did," but I didn't have time to be nervous because I didn't sleep on it. Right, you didn't know, and literally until that's when you walked two hours team. before. Yeah. So I had two hours to get ready, or an hour and a half to get ready. So I'm fired up. I'm ready to play, and I'm hitting it good. I saw Butch Harmon out there, and he goes, "You got this, pro." You know, he's encouraging mm-hmm. me, and and so we get to the first tee, and I'm nervous. I mean. The first time on the first tee, the first day, I couldn't get my hand on the, the ball on the tee. I'm hand shaking. I can't imagine. I grab my other hand. It's shaking. The earth's shaking. The whole world's shaking. So now I'm playing savvy. And I was nervous, but I was fired up. Mm-hmm. I was lamb chop. Yeah. Right? So I get there, and I, I tee off first. Savvy tees off second. And I hit my little three-word off the tee. As we're about to walk off the end of the tee, I hear Sam, or I hear uh, Bernard Gallagher, the captain, say, Savvy, you'll beat him seven and five. No way. Yeah, you don't do that to me. So I turn around to, to Tom Watson and Lanny. He goes, I'm taking his blank down. I'm whooping his blank today. Yeah, exactly. He's going down. Yeah. And I was no longer nervous. I was on a mission. And I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just telling you the sure. feelings I had. Yeah. The emotions. The emotions. Yeah. So I'm going, I'm up on him, several up on him. And I remember he got it up and down several times. And I was like, this guy just ain't going to go away. And he duck hooks it left on seven. I think, well, I'm going to win this hole. I'm going to you know, get him. Well, he gets free drop. But long story short, he wins the dang hole. Mm-hmm. So we get to nine, and I think I'm four up, baby, at the turn, three or four up. And so you had to have about a 200-yard walk to the next tee, and 18 and nine were together. Well, Freddie's playing Woosdom, 
And I could hear the crowd screaming, Savvy, Savvy, Savvy. Wow. It's getting louder and louder. And Tom or uh, Freddie and them are looking over. And I walk around. You know how those defensive backs go, like, bring it? Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. bouncing around, like, bring it. I got him. <laughs> Come on, yeah. bring it to me. And it was acting a fool. Yeah, because, I mean, the Ryder Cup, you were able to kind of show a little bit more emotion because yeah. you're on a team. Right. And we had lost over there yeah. and blew it the last time over there. You know, and Kiowa was the Ryder Cup before, so they were really wanting to beat us. Oh, and now no. we're over there. I mean, you're in hostile <laughs> golf territory. In I mean, it's not, it's yeah. not, you know, life or death, but it's just, it was hostile. So I get going on the back nine, and he gets up and down a few times. And I thought I was going to get him on the par five. So we get to 16, and I'm a three up or two up going to 16. And uh, I got about a 25-footer, and I lag it up. Tap in, he gives it to me, and he misses his 12-footer for par, and I went three and two. And I remember him shaking my hand, and everybody's talked about, you know, did he play any games with me? No, he was an absolute gentleman, and always was to me. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm a big Seve fan, but to beat him there in that situation took my confidence to a level that I cannot even imagine I was possible. Mm-hmm. And and just my mom and dad being there, your mama being there, the pictures, the hugs, the whole thing. And as we're walking off the green, I see. Sevy's in tears. I mean, he, it meant that much to him. Right. And so for me to see that, and, and so now we go sit down. That, that's when the thing about the Ryder Cup is, Tom Watson told us a couple things, and I didn't say this earlier, when we were just about to get off the Concord, he said, gentlemen, they may have invented the game over there, but we have perfected it. Well, I was right at parachute off the, <laughs> oh, in the Concord. Man. It was so great. That would just give you chills. Total like. chills. And so then he said the night before, he said, guys, Silence is golden, mm. meaning if you're over there and it's quiet, you're beating them. Yep. And I remember we went around the table every night talking about our day. And I remember your mom in front of everybody just kind of saying, hey, guys, we got this. I mean, it's Tom Watson. We're in Scotland. He wins over here. He is Scotland. Golf, they love him. We're going to win tomorrow, you know, and just stuff like that, those sure. little things. But I didn't tell this story because this is the, really the heart and soul of the whole fun part of the story. Maria Floyd, Raymond's wife. Yeah. Is walking into some, I don't know, store. There's betting going on, and over there you can bet anywhere. Oh yeah, I think. And, and, and she sits here and says, uh, they, she hears them run their mouths about how Sevy's going to beat me and everything. She goes, "I'll bet you a hundred dollars or whatever." The Gallagher beats it. Oh, you're on! So she bets on it, and so she comes out to me actually before I walk to the tee. I know I got off that story. I forgot. No, I had to tell this is, this is the best story. And she says, "Jim." I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, I just bet $100 and you beat Seve. Don't let me down. I said, no, ma'am, I will not let you down. So I was more nervous letting down Maria. Than the country. Than playing in the country and playing Seve and my whole team. So we go sit there and we wait. Davis makes the putt. And so we win. And the celebration was incredible. Yeah, Uh, what was that celebration dinner like? It's weird because both teams go together, which is very uncomfortable for the losing team because they have to sit there and listen to all the speeches and all the baloney. And they had a few – uh, adult beverages, <laughs> as they always did. Well, sure. The one thing I always admire about the European team, they win and lose with more passion than anybody. There's That's so right. much, and I always got along with the Europeans and the international players, maybe even better than some of my own American players. Just mm-hmm. because I don't know why, I just always liked them, got along with them. But in the Ryder Cup, I wanted to whoop their butts. You That's know? right. Uh, but we won. We got back on the Concord, and so we're they, they drew numbers to see who could sit in the cockpit on takeoff. Oh, really? Big Jim gets it. So I sat in the cockpit in the jump seat during takeoff in the Concorde. That was really cool. That's insane. Uh, And we got back to the States and 
we flew back and I'm playing the next week. And, and I remember going down to, it was Callaway Gardens, which was always one of my favorite events. I was sick as a dog just from just the mental drain of the whole thing. Oh, it's like in the, I guess, Final Four, going from yes. the first round of the Final yes. Four, trying to and go to I was ill because of that. But one thing I forgot to mention. Yeah. So... Paul Azer. They hand me the bottle of champagne, and I don't know how to open up a champagne <laughs> bottle. So I hand it to Payne. So Payne and John Cook are on the front cover of Golf World, which was appropriate since they wrote the sure. article. Paul walks up to me and grabs my face. He says, you are no longer Lamb Chop. You are now known as Killer, Killer Lamb, Lamb Chop. Chop. And that's, that's how awesome. I got the nickname Killer Lamb Chop from Paul Azinger. But I remember, and I, I know I jumped around here, but it's something I forgot. When they interviewed me after it was over during that celebration on the green, is they said, you know, what did you tell us about, you know, what's this mean? And I said, well, you know, there are a lot of people that didn't think I should even be on this team. And one thing I proved to not only them but myself is I can flat play. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty cocky statement. It was very cocky for me, even though when I'm fooling around, running my mouth, I'm really not that. I'm really right, pretty exactly. humble about it. But it, it's how confident it took me. I know a lot of people may have rubbed the wrong way, but I just truly believed that. Yeah. And I had to. You know, that year was not over. Because the beginning of that year, I wanted to make a million dollars, which now that 80 or 90 guys will make that. Uh, I wanted to win multiple tournaments. I wanted to make the Ryder Cup team. And I did everything. And so the last tournament of the year is the Olympic Club is the Tour Championship, which were the top 30 money winners. Yeah. Last time I played the Olympic Club was the USAM. I think it was an 80. I shot 87-80. I was 20-some over after 27, ready to quit. My dad... And I had talked about this, and this is a good lesson for kids out there. If you're going to change your grip, you got to do it not in your sophomore year of, of, of uh, college because it doesn't really work that way. So I had always played an interlocking grip. Okay. And my dad said, no, all the good players you know, overlap. Well, then I, well, Jack Nicholas interlocked, Tiger Woods, they were pretty good. You know, Tiger was after me or whatever. So I stuck, I went to overlap that summer. Well, I couldn't break an egg. And went back to interlock, and really? just for that one tournament, I played an interlock or overlapping grip, and I couldn't bust an egg. What if Pap? He wasn't mad. He no, wasn't no he's the one. He, he, no, he said, "Don't have to. You don't feel comfortable. Don't do it." I yeah. said, "Okay." That was the only real switch he made me or convinced me to do. But that was my own. I could have said no, but sure. I, I said, "No, I can do it. I can do anything." Well, that was dumb. So that kind of backwards. So I get sure. in there and I shoot sixty-three the first round at Olympic Club with a bogey, course record. Remember this? I shot eighty-seven there last time I played. 13 years before. So wow. I walk in the media room and they said, well, Jim, tell us about your round. And I said, well, last time I shot 87 here and approved how many shots now. Improved my handicap quite a bit. Well, back then you could kind of be funny or whatever. Right. So I had just an incredible week. And I remember the last day coming down to 18 in the back left pin. And there's no way you want to be over this green or above the hole. And I hit it on, on the back friends and it didn't come back. So now I've got a 12 footer down the hill with no chance. Could, playing with, I mean, if you touched it, it's past Gone. Time. So Scott Simpson's with me, and he knew how to play Olympic Club. Played there a zillion times. It had so much success there. So I put this thing, and I leave it dead in the hole short. And I'm just like, I can't believe it. Because I was a few back. Norman still had a bunch. Greg Norman had a bunch of holes to play. And he said, you couldn't sit there with a 300-pound or 300 balls in a bucket and do that. Mm-hmm. So I make my par, and I get in. And then Greg bogeys, I think, 16 and then flies it over the green 18, I win the tour championship. What was that like sitting, I guess, where you were in the clubhouse, I guess? No, I was actually, I went up in the tower with Peter Jacobson. Oh, you were in the booth. You were, I was in the booth, yeah. and I put on a Halloween mask. That's Mary right. Lightning I think home. I've seen that video. And it's like horrendous, and I'm sitting there going like, it's hideous. 
thing. And so everybody was like, what's he doing? Why didn't he go and hit balls? Right. I never thought he was going to make bogeys. Right. I didn't care. You're like, I'll finish. I'm going to make a crud yeah. load of money. You exactly. know, I had never dreamed I was going to win. And all of a sudden he hits it over the green. I'm going like, I got to go hit balls. Yep. And my caddy looks at me, Danny McQuilkin, the punk. And he says, he ain't ever getting it up and down. I couldn't get up and down. I got the greatest short game in the world. So I'm thinking, <laughs> shut up. They can hear you. They got the <laughs> yeah. mics. And so when he hit it there, he's like, it's over. You're winning. And he chopped it, you know, hit a great shot, but still hit it 30 feet short, didn't make it. David Frost missed, and so I win. And I went, oh, my God, I just won $540,000. i have won the lottery. And back then, that was a lot of money. It's still a lot of money. Sure, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I was just like, okay, wait, I got a million dollars. I won two tournaments. I made a Ryder Cup team. We won. What a year. So that's 93. I know I talked forever on it. No, um, I mean, that was a huge year It was year a huge for year for me because it took my level – of confidence to another level, but it also put those expectations out there right. that I think everybody's got to be aware of because they can strangle you if you're not careful. Yeah, and you set those goals way high. And yeah, but how important is it to set goals for a junior, you know, growing up in the game and either college student, you know, college players or pro players too? But what were those, or how was that important to you setting those goals to me, and then achieving them? It gave them? me somewhere to strive for. Now, some people would say they don't like it because it puts pressure on you. There's always two ways of thinking. To me, I needed a list of things to do, even to this day. Give me a list and I'll go do it. And those were goals. Like, it made me work for that, just like my dad. Right. You weren't number one on the high school team. Right. You're not going to be number one. Even though you are number one your freshman year, you're going to earn it. So that kept me going. The problem was I made them so big in 94 that it strangled most of my year. I did play the President's Cup. We did win. That was a lot of fun. I still had that intensity from the Ryder Cup, but the difference in the President's Cup, it wasn't the Europeans, it was the rest of the world. And no, not that the Europeans weren't, but most of those guys were playing the tour with us. Nicky mm-hmm. Price and so many of those guys were our friends. So it wasn't that intense competition that first year. It right. was the first one ever. Uh, and I remember getting up there and playing with Davis Love, and I'd never played foursomes. And it was just that I turned a year around because I had so many expectations, it could have been a disastrous year, but it ended up being okay because of the President's Cup and us winning. Right. So tell me, I mean, if we have time, tell me a little bit about those President Cup's experiences. Yeah, so it's in Virginia. Uh, I'm thinking, yeah, Mama just, you know, she, you were young. Mama left both you and Mary Langdon. Yeah. And so she, we had a great time. She came. It was she just came. The two it was just two of us. Dale... Persons who our friend from Greenwood yep. was there. He he came in the team room with us. You know, he <laughs> thought he was in heaven, and he and it was really cool to have Dale there. But it was cool because I got to play with John Houston. We played best ball and we played really really well. Won the best ball match, and then I played Forsens with Davis, and we played Frank uh, Nabolo and uh, Allenby. And mm-hmm. Davis was long. I was fairly long, and we went seven and five. We just absolutely waxed them. And that was cool. And so then the next day we play, Houston and I go back out, and I think we play McNulty and Fulton Allen, and they beat us. I was so mad. Yep. But they beat us. I mean, they played better than we did. And I, I was like, dang it, I wanted to go undefeated. And then I think, yes, Davis and I then played Nick Price. I may have got it mixed up, but we played Nick Price and McNulty. Yeah. And we get to 17, and I've got this huge – area where someone is touring up with their spikes and i called my friend ben nelson mm-hmm. who's a tour official and it was damage done by somebody it wasn't just spike marks and so he gave me a drop or not a drop but he let me fix it and i had about an eight footer for birdie and, and nick price who's a total gentleman was so upset and it kind of threw me off mm-hmm. and i missed the putt because i didn't 
I only called him in because David said, call him in. That's not normal. It was legit, but it just made me feel uncomfortable like I was getting this advantage. So Davis teed off on 18, and I had this ball above my feet, and I took a 7-iron and That's a swing VJ Trollio has in the office. And I hit it in there about a foot and a half or two feet. And on the left pin, which for me was a cutter, was impossible. And Davis goes, oh, my God, what a great shot. Because I hope I knock it in. I said, you don't knock it in. I'm throwing you in Lake Manassas over there, you know. <laughs> Seriously. And he makes the putt, and we have the match or whatever. And, and I win singles. So it was just cool. Uh, a lot more laid back, but still competition. Right. Uh, and it led to 95 coming in with a few more goals and, and, and things like that. Yeah, so you all went on to win that President's Cup yep. that year. 95, you know, tell us about, you know, three putt on the last hole in Tucson, or, yeah. Sorry, Tucson to lose to, to Phil. Yeah, that, that threw me down pretty hard. I, I, had it, I had it in the middle of the fairway, which is the hardest drive at Tucson National. Had six iron in, left pin, which is not a comfortable pin. And I blew it out to the right, which I should have done if I'm going to miss it. Missing it left was fine. So I had about a 50-footer. I left it about eight feet short, and I missed it. Three putt. Well, I watched that putt in my mind for the next six straight weeks. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I didn't sleep. Finally, your mama at the players just grabbed me and said, what are you doing? you got to get it together, man. You can't be worried about it. It bugged me for that long. Sure. Um, I got in Greensboro, coming down the line. I was seven back the start of the day. Funny story here is we were staying with Harold and Donna Moose, and I had four Krispy Kreme donuts before I got there. I ate, <laughs> I like, think I've heard I ate like a third grader, so all you kids, this is not proper dieting, but it did work for me, is I get to the locker room, and I think there might have been a couple more donuts, dozens of them in there, and so I said, all right, I've already had my four. I'm going to go play, and I shoot like 31 or two to the front, and now I'm making a move. Well, there's two more. There's some donuts at the turn, so I get two more. So I've had six donuts. No way. I make the turn. I end up shooting, I think, 65, and I come back winning by seven on six donuts, Krispy wow. Kreme donuts. I would have loved to seen your whoop. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bounce it off of yeah, that coma. Exactly. So we win, and that was cool. I mean, I but I learned because of what happened at Tucson, not to eat Krispy Kreme donuts, but because of what happened at Tucson, and that to not let that happen again. Stay aggressive. Hit the proper shot. Don't hit the stupid shot. But don't get caught up in the, you know, just stay in the process. And I kind of got out of that at Tucson, and I didn't there. And then I had a week off, didn't play. And I'll go to Atlanta. I have a really good chance to win there and, and come up one shot short. So I was playing so well right then. And, and I remember Lindsay Gilmer after Atlanta, who was a little 9-year-old, 10-year-old girl from home. And her parents came over, and Mickey and them came over, and, and they're our dear friends from church, and they tell us that she's got leukemia. Well, you and Mary Landon are, you know, little kids, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm just having this, like, I can't believe it. And they said, but the good news is she's going to St. Jude. And I go, well, I'll tell you what, Lindsay. I mean, she didn't know golf from football. Right. I said, I'm going to win that tournament for you. And this would have been in April. And so she goes up there. Tournament's not till July or 1st of August. And I shoot crazy low numbers, and I get this big lead going into the last nine holes. I think I've got about a four-shot lead. And I hit a bad tee shot at 12 in the rough, and I should have probably just laid it up and then tried to get up and down, but I tried to be a little bit aggressive, but not aggressive at the same time. Hit it in the water, boom. So I'm into another, so I make double. Then I bogey the next hole. Now my lead's down to maybe one or two. Long story short, I get to 18. Perfect drive. I'm standing in that fairway. I said, all right, 
what'd you do at Greensboro? Don't do what you did at Tucson and bail this thing out. You know, yeah. I'm thinking this is going through my mind. And it was Zoysia Fairways, and I always played a cut, but for some reason I wasn't able to hit my cut because Zoysia, I was, uh, I just couldn't come in there as steep as I mm-hmm. was. And the ball was turning over, so I kind of played a draw that week, or a straight shot, really. Sure. And I block it in the front right bunker. And I got, you know, not much green to work with. I'm thinking, all right. So I got a one-shot lead. And I'm thinking, you got to get this thing up and down. I hit a pretty decent bunker shot about 8, 10 feet by the hole. And I still to this day see that putt. It's going to break a little left right. And I've hit that putt, and I knock it in. And I raise that putter, and I run across the green like a crazy man. And Danny's trying to give me a high five, and I miss him. <laughs> and then Gene Sowers is trying to say something, and I got no idea. And then all of a sudden, you lost your mind. I lost my mind. But the reason was is when I made that double and then that bogey, I started thinking of Lindsay. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm going to blow this tournament that I promised her. It had nothing to do with me losing the tournament for myself. Is I promised this little girl, you better gut it out. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And so when I got to the press conference, we were there on the 18th green, I started bawling. You're probably two, and Mary Lannan's yeah. number four, and you don't got a clue what's going on. You're looking for your passing, and I'm <laughs> sure. sitting there crying. And they're all like, what's wrong with my daddy? You know, And that's because of that. And so nobody knew that story. Right. Except for Bobby Hall, who was a writer in Memphis. And I told him in the locker room that morning, I said, you can't tell anybody this. This is me and you, but this is the story. And so that became the story. Patient at St. Jude, I win. At the end of the year, we take him to Disney World. She's in remission, and we have a great time inside the PGA Tour. And I started hosting that a little bit. And we have Lindsay there. And now she's got a couple kids and doing great. I remember we did like the 15th year or something anniversary one of my last years to play at Memphis, and we had her call in. I mean, everybody's balling. But it's just a great story. Absolutely. Uh, and then that's just, you know, probably a good way to, you know, kind of get to that is, like, that was success. But I went after that. I don't know what happened. I just kind of I got into some bad swings. I just struggled from 96 to 99, maybe expectations, strangling. You know, I was supposed to be playing like this person, and, and, and I just wasn't. I lose my card for the first time and since 87 and man that just knocked me for a loop yeah how did that affect you and um how were you able to deal with that losing your car not and, well and going through that slump? not well because i had four kids uh, when i was on the road i wanted to be home when i was home i wanted to be on the road and i had no you know very limited status i might get in a few events mm-hmm. but then i looked at it and i said well i'm gonna go play the buy.com tour i'm exempt on that which is now the corn ferry tour and I thought, well, I'll go out there and try to play and stay sharp. Well, I lasted about six events and said, I wasn't mentally ready to play. I was, at one point, I was like, I hope I lose my card. Yeah. That's how bad it got. And that's a terrible attitude. And it cost me. I did lose my card. So, you know, that was really kind of a low part. And I finally just said, you know, I don't want to play anymore like this. But I mean, I couldn't stay home. I was only 40 years old, 41 years old. Yeah. I wasn't like I had, you know, I didn't you own, had a lot of career. I life. didn't own a Wells Fargo bank, you know. I just, <laughs> I still was 40 and had four kids and I hadn't sent you to college and going to private school. So, I mean, I, I had a great career after that point, but that was a big, that was a big thing for me. I never kind of had time to like say, all right, I need to take a break. And I think playing out there just, I never really kind of got over that. Lost a little bit of that drive. So yeah, now, you know, what do you do? Four kids, you know, very limited status, you know, buy.com tour, um, which is now the corn Ferry tour. Um, you know, tell me about those mental challenges and, um, you know, how you're able to come those. I never did. I really never did. I kind of, it kind of consumed me. I, uh, you know, I'd get in a few tournaments and I'd show some signs, but 
that drive wasn't there for some reason. I don't know what it was. Uh, it was just terrible that I let it, you know, have that kind of talent. It just, I never overcame that. It, it came, it kind of swallowed me up. Uh, but in 2002, my agent, Barry Turgeson, calls and said, USA Network's looking for some TV announcers. Are you interested? Well, I was so sick of playing. I said, yeah, I put my name in a hat. Ain't nobody going to, you know, I'm not going to do TV. And so, lo and behold, he said they're going to have two teams, A team, B team, or whatever, blue team, red team, whatever, yeah. one half the year, the other half the year. And I said, all right, sign me up. Well, lo and behold, I got a contract, and there was only one team. Yeah. And I was it. And uh, <laughs> Phil Blackmar and and I and a few other guys did it. And, and I did it for 2002, but I still had that every once in a while, get that edge going like this right. to go play a little bit. But then I fall back and say no. But one of the cool things is I didn't know anything for TV. They handed me a mic and said, here, go talk. Yeah. I didn't take – I took one communications class <laughs> in college because it was an elective. Yeah, exactly. And it was an A. I didn't know anything about anything about TV. I knew I could talk. That's why we do the podcast. But sure. the coolest thing is, you know, I had always been on the ground. I, I kind of did okay. I was still kind of playing, so I was still active with the players. But then Annika Sorenstam gets this exemption to play at Colonial as a woman on the men's tour. And it's going to be on all – Every hole she plays wow. for two days. And now I'm thinking. How many times had you announced done, Announced. Well, that was in May. And so I had done, what, 10 or 15 events. Wow. And now I'm going to go to the big this time. This is a huge This event. is not just on, because back then USA only did Thursday, Friday for two hours. Yeah. And now the whole world's watching. Right. And I remember on that first tee, she started on 10. And I was so dang nervous. I was pacing. I can't imagine what she was going through. Uh and I remember watching her play and just was amazed at how she handled herself, the poise, and just how good she really was. And, and under that kind of a microscope, because I thought of myself playing in front of crowds and how I handled it. Now, she has a whole world, and, and half of them probably wanting her to fail. Right, exactly. You know, that don't don't get it. And uh, I was a big fan. Got to know her a little bit. Mm-hmm. remember the last few holes the first day, she was playing pretty good. I think she only shot even or one over, two over. And I thought to myself, and I said, I said, how many little girls are out there watching now? They're inspired by this. I just embraced it. At first, I was yeah. like, uh, why is she doing it? So then I got to the second day and watched her, and she wasn't going to make the cut. And I remember we were walking, I think it was 13, and she was kind of down, and I put my arm around her. I said, hey, I ain't supposed to be doing this, but <laughs> you know what? Most people came out here to watch you play. Just put on a show coming in. Yeah. And she smiled, and she did. She played so great. She got finished. The first day, I had to interview her. So I had to really prep for that. Like right. I had four questions. I turned everybody down, and I went through it. And we had four great questions, a great interview. The toughest interview was the second one now. She's missed the cut. And everybody's going to want to know what's, whether she'd do this again, what she looked. Yeah. So I remember her agent walked up, what are you going to ask her? And I said, I'm not talking to you. You know, I don't care. Sure. You don't control this. I've got to have my mind. Right. You know, and she walks up. She goes, don't make me cry. I said, if you don't make me cry, I won't make you cry. We got this, girl. So I sat there, and I remember asking her, you know, what was a memorable week? What did you take from it? Uh, the crowd was out there. What was that like? And of course, I'm hearing now. I didn't turn my producer down. She goes, ask her if she's going to do it again. And I'm going like, I will. I will. I'm thinking to myself. So either the third or fourth question, I said, would you do it again? And she said, no, but maybe in the skins game. What she said she learned is, she had a lot of shots, but the tuck pin she couldn't get to. She didn't have enough shots around the green because, man, she never missed a green on the LPGA. Right. I don't remember her percentages, but it were ridiculous how good mm-hmm. she hit the ball. Uh, but she was wonderful. It was great to see that. I had a four-year contract with them. 
And then I kind of had to make a decision. Do you want to keep doing this or do you want to play uh, Champions Tour? And I said, you know, I kind of might have some status on Champions Tour. I think I want to play that. And, you know, I had probably played competitively. I played once a month and it got down to five tournaments a year. So for me to go do that was big because I hadn't played much in 10 years. Right. And Well, I remember when you, you know, lost your card and, you know, started doing TV and you watched us, you know, get to play high school sports and do that. Those um, 10 years, I wouldn't trade. That's the thing. When you look back at that and someone will ask me, I wouldn't do it any different way. Uh, it, was a, it was a way that I, I didn't make the decision. It was kind of made for me. My mm-hmm. terrible attitude cost me, but I didn't want to lose my family over my terrible attitude. I remember your mom was just saying, if you're going to be here, be here. If you're not, then you know, go back on the road. And it was great advice. I mean, it was because people, you got to remember this, kids and anyone listening, you want to hear what you want to hear, but the best teachers and your best instructors are going to tell you something times you don't want to hear, something you don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. That's what a true friend or, or someone says. You don't always want to hear it because sometimes you can't handle the truth. <laughs> you know? There's a lot of truth to that. No, you're right. And I did. I got out. My first event on Champs Tour was in Mississippi. It was my birthday. I was playing with Mark Brooks and Tom Percher. Couldn't have had a better couple guys. I think I finished 45th. I felt the fire. I played okay that year. There was something missing, and I didn't play worth a crud the next year, so now I don't even have status, and I had to start asking for exemptions. And and it was to the point where, like, you get an exemption, you play a Monday, Tuesday, you play, like, four pro-ams, you go to all these dinners, and that's part of the deal. And I loved it. The problem was I loved it too much because I wanted to make sure these people had a good time. Right. That was my job. And come Friday, I wasn't ready to play. Right. And I just didn't have the competitive sharpness I once had. My body, I tried to get it in shape. I didn't play worth a crud. I didn't love it like I did. And I remember, you know, walking in there and, and, and I called the Golf Channel up to see if I could find a spot. They really didn't have much. And uh, lo and behold, I was talking to Fox. They were going to give me a one-year deal. I went and did the Ryder Cup for Golf Channel. They come back and said, we'd like to get you on. And that's kind of how that started. I'm going to say that was seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And... I kind of had made up the decision. I was trying to play a few events, three or four, and I just wasn't very sharp. And I didn't mind it because I still wanted to be around the guys. Right. But I, I yeah, because those were your, your buddies. Right. And, but and... a lot of my really good friends weren't playing much. And I just like, okay, I want to do TV. I want to prove to them I want to do TV. Yeah. And so I didn't, you know, I kind of stuck into it. And I remember we went to the tournament at Biloxi and, and the Rapiscan Classic, which is, you know, the first one I played on Champs Tour. What I miss and what I re- not that I regret is I wish in the PGA Tour I could have played one more event mm. and said goodbye in Jackson properly because that's the first tournament I ever won. And I wish I would have been able to thank everybody. Right. So I can thank them now for all their great support. But I guess it all turned out better because when I went to Biloxi, which is still in Mississippi, I remember you caddied for me. I knew it was going to be my last one. Nobody else knew that. I knew it was. And I knew I wasn't plunging well. I wasn't working at it. I didn't have the f- desire. Yeah, I can remember you telling me, like, walking down the 18th, kind of whispering it to me, and I was like, nah, this isn't going to be the last one. Yeah, because I remember you handed my putter when I was 30 yards off the green because I couldn't chip where the credit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, we need to use that putter a little bit more. This sandwich like, is not it, working. And you're chunking it pretty good with that sandwich. I figured it is time because I made you. I think I was going to make you walk over to the next tee instead of taking the start the shuttle. <laughs> and you should have used the putter. Yeah, uh, You're right. But anyway, but seriously, I did. I walked up the 18th. I remember sitting on that green. I said, that's it, Thomas. And I remember you looked in my eyes, and it's just like I told you the worst thing to tell you, but you just said you can't. And I said, I can. 
because I don't have it. I don't have it in my heart. And it's not that I didn't have it in my ability. I just didn't have it in my heart. And so that was my retirement. No one knew I even retired. Just right. you. Yeah. Mary Lyon and Caleb and Tommy were there. Sure. Nobody else was there. And it was just right. like, okay, that's it. I just kind of walked away. A lot of people have this big thing that, oh, their retirement. I just went away quietly. Right. And I, wasn't, I didn't feel like <clears throat> I had it in my heart to fight, to play and practice, to do the things to be great. Because let me tell you something. These guys in the PGA Tour champions, they practice and play every single day. Right. Yeah, they're older. But ain't nobody beating Langer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and I just, you know, when I was in contention out there a few times, I felt comfortable. But I just didn't have it in my heart. And you know what I would, I would love doing is being able to play and be on TV and work for the Golf Channel and all those roles that I've done. It's been a lot of fun because I've been able to fill in anywhere. I do LPGA. I do PGA one time. I do uh studio i go do this and so i i had no training it's just a gift i've got and i do love what i'm doing and it's been a lot of fun doing that for the last seven or eight years and i i do i miss playing i miss competing at the level i think i compete because now i don't even hardly play but i still love to go play right having that golf channel golf channel schedule you know you get some time off you know obviously now you're you are granddaddy um i am that so tell me about what it's like becoming a granddaddy, and now I'm about to add another one. Yeah, to the next. you're about to have one. Well, the coolest thing is when they call you pro, and that's my granddaddy name, coolest granddaddy name ever. And it's kind of like your kids. You love your kids, but you would have skipped kids if you known how good grandkids were. But they're just—it's great because it's like someone else that looks at you. And that's one thing about y'all. And and we can kind of end this up because we've gotten talking a long time, but it's been fun to do all of it. Is when I would come home after an 80 or whatever, y'all didn't care if I shot 80 or 90. And, and that's that's what you get with your grandkids because they don't know me that I did anything. Even you guys didn't know the things I had accomplished because I never bragged on it much. Or, or even your mom's like that too. But, you know, I wouldn't trade those years at home. And I've enjoyed being a granddaddy and watching little Tommy and William and get to watch yours get out there and, and just play a game that I've loved my whole life. And, and that's why I do this podcast is to – you know, get people to figure out what's going on in the world of golf and how do they get better and do some things. And, and, you know, if you folks that are listening, you know, contact us at onlyoneshotgolf at gmail.com. Send some questions in, and I'll answer them in our next podcast. And, and that's the way, you know, if you got a question, what should my kid do to get to college? How do we get coaches to look at me? I'll have coaches on. And that's why I do this. I don't do it for any other reason other than it's just love doing it. And uh, this has been cool, Thomas, to have you on. I've taken over the role a little bit now. Well, you are the host, but I appreciate you allowing allow me to tag along and, um, and and fill that seat today. But, um, you know, enjoy enjoy seeing you and enjoy talking to you today. But what are you most proud of in your, in your golf career, and, and what's up next for you? What are you doing next? Most proud of is I was able to play a game I loved and uh... – <laughs> <laughs> Don't don't choke up too much. That's it. I just love it, and I love y'all. Well, we love you too, pro, and um, we'll we'll see you on the next episode, brother. Love you, Dad. Flat track bottle in a brown sack 
Pistons bumping in a poor boy's Cadillac Across the Mississippi, crazy on the pale moonlight Lord, I'm gonna be the devil to see my